welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Blood Veils Chapter 6, the penultimate chapter. And you can really tell it is because um, the next chapter is, uh, you know, much more focused on character uh, and developing relationship between Yennefer and Ciri. So this chapter is the quote-unquote plot-heavy one, even though, as I discussed last time, Blood Veils doesn't technically have a plot. It's all story, no plot, and there's nothing wrong with that inherently, actually. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that are well-regarded to have technically no plot. Uh, but all the setup for what is to come in the, you know, next books, uh, especially Time of Contempt, uh, is really set up very blatantly here uh, to say, hey, there is a plan. It's more than just character relationships. So uh, first we got the, 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 uh, the convention of all the monarchs uh, at, uh, uh, at Haga Castle. And, you know, they're discussing about the situation with Nilfgaard because it's been two years since the first Nilfgaardian war ended with the, uh, you know, the climactic battle of Sodden. Um, and they're talking about how the Nilfgaardian war machine is changing, that it is, instead of focusing on mages, um, which led to the defeat at Sodden, it is now focusing on new technology as much as it can. Um, and that there is a very clear sense that there is something on the horizon that, uh, you know, these, all these civil unrest from the peasants to the elves, the dwarves, etc., um, are kind of spawning from, you know, inherent, uh, you know, attempt to, you know, rise people up, provide enough guardians that they're, this is basically a cold war. Uh, where everybody knows that the war has ended, quote-unquote, uh, and may begin anew at some point, but the war is still technically going, it's just under a new name, you know, we call it a civil war instead, that there is this sense that, uh, you know, the one side is waiting for the other the weekend before they truly strike and show their true motives. Um, and that is leading to many issues that the monarchs have to deal with. You know, the fact that their buffer zone between Nilfgaard and them has been taken by Nilfgaard in the previous invasion. So Sintra is now in the hands of the Nilfgaardians. And while there is a resistance against the Nilfgaardian occupation of Sintra, there is that issue of there is a very clear... Uh, you know, attempt to uh, legitimize Nilfgaard's rule over Sintra, and they need to stop that. And that all links back to Ciri. Ciri, after all, is the heir. Uh, she's the lion cub of Sintra. And because of that, she poses many issues. And, uh, you know, every, you, th there's this discussion, you know, Foltis is like, hey, I can marry her, and blah, 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 blah. And everybody's like, no, no, because that puts everything in your pocket, and we don't really want that now. Um, and I like how every monarch is sort of calling Foltis out on, you know, he, he's a bit of a horned dog, and he, he's young, and he's, but he's, um, he's smart. But they also want to say, hey, we know what you're doing. We know what you're trying to do. And they fear that, you know, they have reports of people looking for Siri, uh, even outside of their own attempts. And they fear that this may all lead back to Amir Far Emrys, uh, the emperor of Nilfgaard. And as such, um, you know, the, the big difficulty here is that they can't risk her, you know, being in the hands of Nilfgaard. Because that le that legitimizes Nilfgaard's hold over Sintra, and then basically dooms them, 
uh, and they can't risk one of the other monarchs from, you know, getting their hands on on Siri and then doing whatever they want. You know, like Faltus wants to marry her or, or uh, you know, Meave even suggested Pony her off to her sons, potentially. And, you know, that, that would lead to multiple heirs and, you know, accession crisis and all that jazz. So now the, the, tribu- the trouble becomes, why don't we just kill her? Um, and of course, that's how that 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 scene ends. Is the Lion Cub of Sintra must die for reasons of state, you know. There and there, there's a lot of mentions of the weather in this chapter, but it's most heavily focused on this bit right here, uh, where we have you know uh, the, the the there's a storm, there's a lot of rain. It's pittering, pattering on the roof. It's it's currently in the sense of ill ease, and even when we get to like the mage section. Uh, you know, there's talk about how many portals they had to go through and it was exhausting because of the weather and blah, 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 blah. You know, this is sort of a, uh, a quick symbol to say, hey, you know, uh, there is a change coming. There's a storm coming, as the cliche would put it. But it, it, it's, it's more subtle than that, that it isn't just that a storm is coming. It's that these people's decisions and these rooms, you know, um, the monarchs in Haga Castle... Uh, you know, Amir in Sintra, uh, you know, uh, Tisea and the, the chapter of mages, uh, you know, meeting uh, meeting with Vilgefort, uh, Philippa's decision uh, when uh, dealing with the Michelet brothers uh, with uh, Geralt. It all comes down to these people are making grandiose decisions, decisions that will change the face of this continent and this world forever without take into account that it all relies on the life of one very innocent young girl. Um, you know, that a great darkness is coming, and it's all because these people do not care about her individuality and her opinions or wants and needs and desires, that they are more important than that. Um, of course, that's one of the big, you know, proponents of this, you know, uh, book. Uh, one of the major themes is Siri fighting for her agency, fighting for her right to choose. Um, we'll come back to that several times, but it's very overt here with the you know the storm allegory and everything. Of there's a great darkness coming, and the world will change, all because no one cares to ask Siri what she wants. Um, and then we got uh, you know Amir, um, and he's talking with uh, you know uh, Marshal Cohorn and uh, and dealing with the situation. Um, you know, there that, you know, he has spies everywhere. He knows that they met and he wants to leak that information to the mages. So that starts getting them, you know, all riled up, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but he also, there is a clear sense that the war is something he's aware is going to happen regardless of what happens. And there's a sense that he's doing it, but that is not his true purpose, which is especially, uh, seen in his night, in his scene with the Black Knight. Uh, whose name I won't disclose, I will save for a spoiler section of, you know, that, uh, that the Black Knight failed what he was doing, which was to capture Ciri and Sintra way back, you know, during the slaughter of Sintra, and that was two years ago now, uh, and this, this young knight, uh, they, they keep referring to him as a youngster, you know, he is young, he is brash, and probably inexperienced, and he's probably way in over his head, uh, you know, they they need him to succeed, and this is his last chance, otherwise he will be executed, and that will be the end of him. Um, that Amir's purpose and what he's after is far more 
than what it appears to be. Um, and this, because the show did it, and that is my rule, oh, you know, if the show reveals a thing, a, a plot twist, even if it comes earlier than in the books, I will talk about it openly without the spoilers, you know, Amir is Siri's dad. Um, he is Dunny. And, uh, you know, he feels like he um, not only needs her for certain things beyond, you know, the political stuff, you know, th that's even brought about in, uh, the discussion with the monarchs. Um, you know, I, I believe Vizimir is the one who points out, or maybe it's Hazel, where they, they say, you know, why, did, why does he need Siri? Because he's already conquered Sintra by force. You know, having Siri by his side is only going to just legitimize it, but it's not necessarily that he needs to legitimize it. He can quell the rebellions easily enough. So what's this purpose? And and everybody's like, well, it's it's clearly just to legitimize or something like that. You know, a swift victory uh, to ensure uh, you know less casualties on both sides. Um, and of course, that's not all. You know, it, it's clear he wants Siri for many different reasons. Uh, one of which is a spoiler, so I won't get into it uh, right now. But there is the obvious deal if you do know that it is because she is his daughter. But there is a greater sense of, you know, there, there's something beyond that. Uh, I also like how Sapkowski sort of keeps his identity secret for that entire segment, and it isn't until the last line of that segment that he reveals that this man, this authoritative figure who's scary as shit from his dialogue and his political, uh, you know, savviness and, and smarts, is, you know, revealed to be Emperor Mirfar Imris, the white flame dancing upon the graves of his enemies. You know, the, it is a nice big jaw drop because you get the sense that this man is important. You don't know who. I remember when I first read it, I was like, maybe this is a mirror. Maybe it's someone else that I don't know about because I had only played Witcher 3. And boom. that And then you're like, oh shit. Um, and it, it sort of plays with, uh, you know, uh, uh, with, with the medium because in in... Uh, books, because it's all written word, uh, there is no picture element to it. You don't have to say who this person is. You can just say the man. Uh, and that, you know, or whatever you want to use, and therefore it becomes easy enough to, you know, hide the identity for as long as you want, which is why the identity of Amir being um, Donnie is held off until uh, much later in the books versus the TV show, and I think there's ways that they could have copied that in the TV show, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I just think it is an interesting way he plays with that and foreshadows the hell out of it, because there's even a talk about how, you know, I know the Witcher, don't pussyfoot around with him, and don't harm Yennefer. Um, and, and that and the idea of don't harm Yennefer is because he knows, well, Geralt is going to get really pissed. Um, if that happens, and also, uh, it may anger the larger mage, you know, population, especially to say, um, and which is going to create hell for him. So deal with the Witcher, he can deal with everyone else, but if he, but if Yennefer is done for, then there's a wider issue that he has to deal with. Uh, and then the next segment is the meeting of all the mages. Uh, Artur Terranova, you know, uh, to say the Threes, Vilgefortz, Ragavine, Lydia von Brevoort, etc. Uh, you know, they're, they're there to discuss the, uh, the fact that because it was leaked to them by Amir, that, uh, that the monarchs, 
uh, you know, met without their advice, without them their presence. So they fear like they're they feel like they're gonna lose power, and they fear that their grip on things is you know lessening um and that's an issue but there's you know some issue with that because there's a clear sense that maybe this information isn't to be trustworthy potentially um and also to say a you know senses that something's going on with vilgefortz that you know he has an interest in studying the elder blood he's he's studying uh the prophecy of Ithlene. uh you know he is uh um, you know, he took a keen interest in finding out what's going on with Yennefer and where she is. You know, there's a sense that he can't really be trusted, but she can't bring this up because even though she is influential and she's an archmage and she used to be the the, the head of uh, of uh, Eratusa, the problem is is that because of who Vilgefortz is, she can't. He's a hero. You do, you you don't insult war heroes by accusing them of things, and that sort of reputation and that sense of arrogance and that sort of sense of complacency within mage society is something that's going to become very important for the next book you know the the mages have built themselves into a um a a palace made of glass and all it takes is one stone to be thrown to break all that glass the problem is is that they don't acknowledge that the palace is made of glass instead they think it's made of sturdy stone and concrete but it, it's not. It can all come tumbling down with just one little stone. Uh, and that's the point. Um, you know, to say is worried about this, but she can't say anything. Because they would destroy her reputation, destroy everything. And because in the mage world, reputation means everything. Which is exactly why Vilgefort is able to be all, you know, doing whatever he wants, weird-ass experiments and stuff. And no one's going to question him. He's the hero of Sodden Hill. He's the man who saved us all. Uh, the man who saved the North. Why insult him? You know, that way. And that, that entire dichotomy there um, is interesting because I talked about how the mages sort of, you know, apply themselves to certain traditions and certain ideas. You know, the, the, the women have to look young and beautiful and the men have to look old and wise and how, uh, you know, they skirt around morality and stuff like that. That really uh, exemplifies in this scene of just how much they are blinded to their own issues uh and that sooner or later it's going to come tumbling down uh you know to harken back to my old stuff when i was doing babylon 5 they're very membarding uh their adherence to certain concepts and certain traditions and that you cannot change because the change is to destroy their society and thus boom you have you know a, a glass palace ready to be knocked down with one stone um then we have the Geralt philippa dandelion shawnee stuff uh all happening um you know th this is the confrontation with riot and dealing with all that what i like is that you know siri is kind of observant of some of it because of her augury powers and you know uh after after that augury ends you know she has that dream about the doors which will become more important later uh you know but the the doors are emblematic not only of her greater purpose and a greater power uh, but also what it means to grow, what it means to be human, that you're you're handed these bunch of choices and sometimes you're pressured into one choice going through one door rather than picking out any other door. So it, it acts as a symbol of her journey and where she's going, but also of her greater power, which is has to do with the, uh, you know, the spheres and the multiverse, you know, which the show did. So that's not a spoiler. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing I love about this entire situation with Geralt uh, and whatnot is that, you know, he 
he sees right through Ryan's. He sees him as a stooge, a fool, an idiot. Um, and he's more than willing to deal with Ryan's and get him out of the way. You know, he set this trap for him in particular. Uh, but the moment <laughs> Ryan's threatens Yen, oh, the gloves come off. He is angry. Uh, and he just lunges at Ryan's and it's brutal and miserable. And the only reason why Ryan survives is because of what Philippa does. Uh, because Philippa is thinking, you know, five steps, steps ahead of everyone. She's just as politically savvy as everyone else. Um, and, you know, she has her own plans and ideas that are going to come to the fore uh, in a bit. But she found out who Ryan's benefactor is through probably one of the Muslet brothers. Um, and, you know, there's this entire sense of, you know, even in Geralt's speech about the ends justify the means, you know, kind of thing of uh, your, your great causes cause you to do so many horrible things. You've let these people die who shouldn't have died. Uh, there are, uh, you know, but you don't you don't call them you know, corpses or the dead, you you call them, you know, unfortunate happenstance, basically, you know, and what he is saying is true, the greater good or great causes lead people to do horrible, horrible things in the name of that greater good or that great cause, but there is a sense that something is on the horizon, and maybe Philippa is trying to, you know, correct that in a way that may be a bit more beneficial. That's even shown, you know, that she only... She only does the mind purge thing when she feels like there is no other option. Uh, and when she did on the Machette brother, you know, she killed him as quickly as possible. And it's like, don't, he won't hurt, you know, stuff showing that there is a hint of mercy within her. Uh, and then even when she confronts Geralt, she's like, let me heal you. You know, you're, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. And, uh, you know, she uh, is showing that she doesn't want to harm him, but that the situation is far greater than he foresees. It's not just him protecting his daughter. There is something greater going on and something darker. Um, and so it's easy to understand her and it's easy to understand Geralt's point of view. Uh, and like I said, that is the point of the character is that she is a true neutral character. She's out for herself and for those she cares about the most. And uh, because of that, she leads into morally gray territory, which sometimes can and cannot be defended. Um, and I think it is a disservice to the character to portray her as purely evil um, and misunderstand who and what she is and what she is striving to do. Because, yes, yeah, some of the stuff she does is pretty awful but some of the stuff she does does make sense from a longer you know political standpoint but it is also you know up for debate um that's why i always call her the true neutral character and i love her as a character because her entire arc and what she's doing which i won't get into right now but we'll touch upon in the spoiler section you know is um you know part of the you know it, it, it's 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 verging into morally grayness, and where do you draw the line? Do the ends justify the means? Can good be done through evil? We even open this chapter on, you know, murder is murder, uh, you know, type thing, that anybody who kills is therefore a criminal. And so, the, you know, there's this idea that is, is it possible to do violence for good? Because we cheer Geralt on when he murders these people in the name of Siri. But we don't do it with Philippa, and ain't that interesting. Um, and it's all about point of view and perspectives, which is a big part of this series, if you couldn't tell already, and from my constant talking about it in previous chapters. And of course, Geralt takes his most one of his more famous lines to me. It's one that I always come back to. You know, don't don't you dare harm Ciri. Don't touch a hair on her head. You know, I 
you know, I, I, I will protect her in any way, any way I can. You know, I will do it in the only way I truly know how. I will kill, and I will kill mercilessly. And this sort of uh, idea will be reverberated throughout the saga, and especially in Season of Storms when he is presented with a similar conundrum of someone who thinks the same way, but, you know, that's that's for then. That's a prequel novel, so... But, you know, this... He, you know, he doesn't see himself as the knight. He doesn't, uh, he even says, I won't swear an oath. I have nothing to swear on, you know, that type thing. But his family means the most to him. And as Philip says, you will have to choose at some point. You can't remain neutral. And he's been constantly confronted with that idea, especially chapters three and four um, in, uh, uh, you know, uh, previously, as we talked about, and, you know, through Triss's perspective and through Yardrin's perspective. And so now... He's really coming to understand that, yes, he's going to be forced to take a side, but that side doesn't have to be, you know, platitudes for nationalities or whatever. It's for two very particular people, Unifer and Siri, and he will do anything for them. Um, and that side may lead him to maybe switching sides at some point to a, so to more nationalistic, or he may, you know, stay separate, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It is a neutral with a slant towards a particular side. It is a, uh, redefining of his code of neutrality and redefining of who he is. And this will become super important for later, which is why, um, I always come back to that. I will kill and I will kill mercilessly. So let's get into spoilers. So uh, Vilgefortz calls uh, the Conclave at Thanid. Of course, this is some more particular thing because Amir wants the mages dealt with so that they no longer propose a problem, and he's got Vilgefortz on his leash, currently at least. Um, so, you know, that that's all being settled, and that's why Philippa Ryans goes, because she knows that there's a larger plan in motion, and so she's going to have to, you know, enact her counter to uh, at least sub do some of the greater consequences of that and maybe uh help in the long term who knows how that's going to turn out you know for her anyway and and so it's this situation um and then of course Amir is looking for um Siri because he believes as was told to him by Vilgefortz, as I brought up in Question of Price, and also in the spoiler section, uh, he's trying to fulfill Ithlian's prophecy that he is to sleep with Ciri, uh, and their child will become important to uh, saving the world from this great end, this white frost, whatever that may be. Um, and, of course, that's why he signs Kahir, and, of course, Kahir, because he's young, um, and, and he's sort of got Nilfgaardian propaganda all around him that even though he failed last time, there is the sense from Amir that he will remain loyal because, you know, it's even stated in this chapter, you know, when he threatens him with execution, there's a sense that uh, Kahir just doesn't believe him, that, you know, he believes his emperor is right and just and he will do whatever is necessary. Um, and, of course, that will backfire, as we well know, um, because there is a greater thing, because Kahir is having visions of Ciri and uh, knows that he is part of that linking of destiny in some way, and there's a greater purpose, and maybe it's beyond Nilfgaardian uh, reasonings, and eventually he will switch, much like Geralt does, to protect Ciri at all costs. And then, uh, you know... Uh, there's also the hint of what Vilgefortz is trying to do. You know, he's trying to get hold of Ciri, um, and through uh, Guinefer, he's trying to track her down. Uh, and, you know, there's there's he's doing tons of research on the Elder Blood and its lineage, uh, implying that there's something with eugenics going on. And 
Uh, we see his misogyny in display when Lydia, you know, is absolutely adores him, loves him, everything, but he doesn't love her back and instead uses that love and twists it to make her the perfect instrument for him to use that tool uh and that sort of mis misogynistic attitude is going to come to the forefront especially next book but will also be on full display as his plans for siri uh his attempt to steal <laughs> you know her um her genetic code basically and, and sort of breed a, a group of uh of these uh genetically altered elder blood people uh you know uh comes into play later but no this is a really good chapter because it has a lot of implications what to come like i said because because it is a plotless book, Blood of Elves does not have a plot. It is all character building and character focus. That this is the this is the chapter that really settles it in and goes, okay, yes, we've been building characters and whatnot, and everything is moving forward on this chessboard, but we need to also let you know that yes, there is more to this under the surface, and that there's some bigger stuff on the horizon, um, which is what that storm, uh, you know, implies, um, and of course. Everything that spawns from here uh, has negative consequences, um, and uh, there's there's this, this growing sense that nothing is going the right way, um, and that eventually this order, this quote-unquote order that this world is in, is going to sprout into chaos, which is really showing to say as OCD, where she keeps, you know, you know, trying to correct things and get them in perfect order because she's about balance and order and um, everything being correct. And her entire livelihood is about to blow up in her face for the betterment of certain people and not others. Um, and that's going to really tear uh, apart her beliefs in what mages are here for. Uh, but wonderful chapter, um, setting everything up nicely. And then uh, chapter seven is back to more character focus, especially with Yen and Siri and the development. Um, and is just a great chapter within of its own, but uh, has some nice little uh, moments of reflection that will lead us into, uh, you know, time of contempt in, in an interesting way. It, it acts as a nice counterbalance to this more quote-unquote plot-heavy chapter but i shall see you next time till then bye